Let's turn to 2 Corinthians this morning. As we continue on with the uh, this, this quick run through this book and the words of faith that we're looking at, those words of encouragement, those words that challenge us to greater faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And really, there's, there's a word chapter. Sometimes we even get two words out of a chapter. Obviously, we spend a lot more time in 2 Corinthians. It is rich indeed. Today's word is the gospel. Pretty good word. Pretty good word for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 6. If you're able, will you stand with me as I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us that we would have understanding. Send your spirit to open our eyes. Give us the insight that we need that we might live this portion of scripture out that we might understand it, that it may dwell within our hearts, Lord, and just pour through every bit of who we are. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. In, uh, in uh, July, unless the Lord returns or you kick me out, I will have been here nine years, and... Um, after nine years, you're going to get you're going to get some of the same stories. Okay, you probably already know that. You you, you probably have a little sheet that you write. Yeah, I heard that one. Heard that one. I know I I told you this before, but I just can't remember when. I looked in my files, and it, it's it's in there somewhere. 1993, back in Pennsylvania, in a little town called Green Oak. If you live there, it was Greenock. Um, and Jack and Betty Smith understand because they lived in McKeesport. Um, there was this church, this Methodist church, and that's where we were having the uh, community Thanksgiving service. And there were about eight churches that were a part of this, and this little Methodist church just had a new preacher. So uh, the ministers got together, and we said, okay, we're gonna, we'll let this guy uh, preach this, the service. It's at his church. He's brand new. We'll have him do it. So he got up, and I looked in the worship folder, and I was in seminary at this time, and his title was My Travels, or something close to that. And I thought, My Travels. I'm thinking, you know, great theological thoughts. I'm a student at seminary. I know all things at this point in life. So I thought, well, maybe he's going to talk about Paul's missionary journeys. That would be good, My Travels. Maybe he's going to talk about 
the way that he came to Christ and how the Lord used other things in his life and brought him to that point. And then I thought, maybe it's Old Testament. He's going to talk about Moses lost in the desert and, and, and what that meant. No, my travels meant 25 minutes of his vacation to New England to look at the leaves. For 25 minutes, we heard a travel log of the beauty of the trees, the wonderful countryside, traveling through New England, staying at bed and breakfasts. I was like, you know, well, if I was at your house having coffee, this might be cool. Uh, but it really wasn't much. And, and, and I was uh, with the pastor of the church where I was the Christian ed director, and we're walking out of the church. And I look at him, and I said, um, I said, Don, what, what just happened? You know, and Don, who, he really didn't have time for that. He was a lot blunter and director, more direct at that time. He said, what an idiot. Okay. <laughs> he said, any fool can get up there and talk for 25 minutes about going to New England and watching the leaves change. But you're in the pulpit, and you've got somebody's undivided, close to undivided attention for 25 minutes. You don't mention Jesus Christ once. You don't mention salvation. You don't mention grace. You don't mention the cross. You don't mention any of that. He said, the guy ought to get out of ministry. Well, truer words were never spoken. Within a month, he had left his wife and children and run off with a princess of Isis. You're going, Isis, I I know this name from somewhere, a princess of Isis. Isis was the Egyptian god uh, of uh, magic, of motherhood, and was worshipped in a cult of fertility. That ought to give you some idea of what went on in worship for Isis, okay? So he, this Methodist minister, ran off, left his family with a princess of Isis. 25 minutes of a travelogue. What kind of sermon is that? All right, now think back last week. I, I talked about two topics last week. Before I got into the meat, what were they? This is a test. Okay, you got to know this. One was golf. Okay, I knew, I knew Mr. Emerson would get golf. And the other was sufficiency. That was the overall theme. I'm, Barry goes right to heaven. Okay. <laughs> weddings. Okay, weddings. Remember that we were talking about sufficiency, and it's, it takes time to understand as a believer that your, your faith grows and you understand more and more that you can rely more and more on Christ and that he is sufficient for all that we need. Much like, and I illustrate it with, with golf, I said much like the first day you play golf, well, you know, if you hit the ball, that's good, but after, you know, after 40 years of playing golf, I can hit some good shots. Not all the time, okay? I just don't play enough. But, and the same type of thing is true in weddings. At you, the day you get married, you think you understand love, but it takes a while. For love really to mature. Okay? And when, you, when you've been married for 10 years, you look back and say, oh, I'm getting the hang of this love much more than the day we were married. I loved you on that day, but now I really love you. And after 25 years, you can say, no, I really, really love you. Okay? Um, but so it grows and matures. And I spent all, I don't know, I didn't time it, but six, let's say six minutes talking about golf and weddings. And then I illustrated that theme of sufficiency and how it grows in the life of Paul. In the next 20 minutes or 23 minutes, whatever it was, spent developing the theme of sufficiency. 
as Paul came to Christ, as he grew in his knowledge of Christ and matured. Okay? So I, I bring all of this to you in the sense that if you want to hear stories about weddings and golf for 45 minutes, you shouldn't come to church. Go to the Bill Cosby concert. Okay? His stories will be much funnier than mine. Okay? And you'll have a lot of laughs. But there are no power, there is no power in the stories of golf and weddings. There is no power there. There is power in what? This stuff. Okay? My stories of golf might give you a warm fuzzy. Or my stories of weddings might make you go, oh, I remember my wedding, and yeah, that was nice, but they won't change your life. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that will change your life. It is that other 20 minutes of illustrating from the life of Paul and the words of Jesus Christ that have the power to change your heart, have the power to change your life. Okay, 25 minutes of a travelogue to New England won't do anything for you in eternity. Two minutes of the gospel of Christ can change your life. Four little sentences about your need for sin and how Christ came to die for you and give his life. That can change your life. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul comes and he talks to the Corinthians about this gospel. This is the gospel of life. This is not a travelogue of Paul's journeys. This is not some nice thing that Paul wants to share with us. This is what changes the world. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world, what we read, thinks it's foolishness. But to those who are perishing, that's why they think. But to we who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says, for those who have ears to hear. We've been studying Revelation in Sunday school class. And we've just gone through the seven churches. At the end of every address to every seven, every of the seven churches, it says, to he who has ears, let him hear. Now, who has ears to hear the things of the gospel? Obviously, the one in whom the Lord is working. We think it's the power of God. For the one who does not have those ears, who does not hear the words of life, it is foolishness. Why do you go and you listen to that guy for an hour? Well, not an hour. It just seems like an hour, okay? Why do you go? Because those are the words of life. What did he say? Well, he gave us the gospel. What better? Uh, there's no higher praise that I could receive in life that in 40 years, you don't remember my name. Well, who was that minister we had? I don't know. He was here forever. I can't remember his name. But, man, it was the gospel he gave it to us. That would be high praise in my life. Who, what, what was his name? I don't remember. But what did he give us? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we need. Now, look around at the world in the way that we take in information. Where else in your life do you come and sit for 20 or 30 minutes and sit, sit still and simply take in information in this fashion. Is there any place else that you do that on a regular basis in life? I mean, we're, we're not high tech. I don't have, uh, you know, I don't, can't even remember what it's called, PowerPoint, okay? There are no bells and whistles here. There are no uh, explosions. There are no car chases to hold our attention. Uh, every once in a while, I'll come over here. Okay, that's big stuff. 
Üzbekistan. This is big stuff. Okay? Because this is the power. I just want you to remember that. I'm going to say that a hundred times today. This is the truth. What did Paul preach that changed the world? Did he come and preach the wisdom of the world? Did he come like the rhetoricians and debate with everybody about this philosophy or that philosophy? No. He preached what? Christ and him crucified. That was it. Nothing else. I desired that I would come and all you would know about while I was there was Christ and him crucified. That's all he wanted the people at Corinth to know. We are simply not used to receiving in our culture information in this fashion, simply being spoken to. Okay? Now, hopefully, some days I can, be, I can keep your attention. But in reality, I, I'm, I can't compete with car chases. I can't compete with explosions on TV. I can't complete, compete with the drama that you might get in other places. I can't even compete with the guy on the, the preacher on television who's got, you know, the $2,000 suit and he's got all his hair and all his teeth and everything. All I got is this, okay? Same thing when you go and you go and have lunch with somebody and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. All you have, all you have is the power of God. Is that enough? Oh, yeah. For those who have ears to hear. For those whose ears are attuned. For those in whom Christ has been working and opening their hearts. This is all that you need. You might illustrate a scriptural point from your own life and how the Lord has worked in your life. But at lunch, you know what? You can't bring you know, your iPad and illustrate from that your iPad. I was playing with them yesterday at Bridge Street. Okay, you can't illustrate it on there. Uh, you can't do that. All you have is the gospel. But that is enough. That is enough because that is what changes life. Flip back a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's just reiterate what Paul did. Christ is the object of Paul's affection, of Paul's love, of Paul's devotion. All he wants us to know is about Christ. What did Paul look like? We're just not sure. Okay? Did Paul struggle with things? Yes. Why did he struggle with things? For the cause of Christ. What do we know about what Paul liked to do in his spare time? I don't know. He preached. That's all he did. That was life for Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God, and that's the gospel. Okay? If your faith rests upon the things of the world, then that's the sand. The rock is whom? Jesus Christ. That's where our faith stands. He is the cornerstone. He is the one upon which everything else is built. We are those living stones, as Peter says, being built up. That is the church. We rest on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. He sets the tone for everything else. 
He is the answer to all our needs. We saw last, last week, sufficient to meet all our needs. All the things that we desire to know about ourselves and about Christ are found right here in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul came to Christ on the road to Damascus. Bright light shone around. It hit him him square right between the eyes, changed him forever. But Paul is also hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light. And what, what, if, if there was no light, then there was what? Darkness. And that's all that there was. The light shone into the darkness. We see this in Isaiah chapter 9. Well, it says, those who are in darkness shall see a great light. Isaiah chapter 49, where God will make his servant a light for the Gentiles. We see it throughout the Gospel of John, how light and darkness are played off one another. And why do men hate the light? Because they love the darkness. They love it. Okay? And what is worse, if it's never happened to you, you don't know for sure, but what's worse than if somebody comes into your bedroom at 3 in the morning and shines a flashlight right in your face? Oh, turn that light off. Same type of thing applies. I like to be in the darkness. Why? Because the darkness is where sin is. And when the gospel light comes in and shines on my sin, I hate it. I hate it. But yet that's what we've got to have. Because we will never change. We will never know the truth until the gospel is shown into our lives. Go back to verse 4 for a moment here. Verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, those who are in darkness, those who are seeking the things of darkness. And it it refers in verse 4 back to those in 3. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world, Satan. And that's the only time in the New Testament that Paul refers to Satan as, and it's a small g, God. It's the God of this world. He is active in this world. What's he do? He prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. He, he, um... Disguises himself as an angel of light. Okay, This is the way that Satan works in the world. He masquerades, he empowers his servant, the Antichrist, who works all kinds of signs and miracles. He attacked Paul, his thorn in the flesh. He tempts people, he schemes against the church. He tries to trap people, he tries to trap the believer, if even possible, to, to uh, dissuade him, lead him astray. More than one occasion, Paul experienced firsthand the satanic opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Satan is at work blinding the eyes of the people of this world, those who do not have the ears to hear. Not only that, their eyes, but it's the mind that is blinded as well. We talk about the importance of the gospel hitting here and hitting here. Okay? You can academically know the gospel but not believe it. You can have this great emotional experience of the gospel but still not grasp it. It has to hit both. And Satan affects the mind 
in particular. He doesn't want you to understand the things of the gospel. He doesn't want you to know the power that is available to you. He doesn't want you to go and have lunch with your friend thinking, you know, I've got the gospel. That's all that I need to share with this person. No, no, you've got to have your bag of tricks. You've got to have other things. You've got to have car chases and and video clips of, of all kinds of stuff so that people won't get bored. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the minds of the unbelievers that are being deceived. So what's the solution to this? Paul talks in verses 5 and 6 about the new birth. He said this is the solution to the being blinded by Satan, and that is the new birth. Preaching Christ and him crucified. You preach Christ as Lord. You preach Christ as Savior. Okay? Christ our Savior answers our problem of sin. Christ as Lord. That is how we live out what he has done in our lives. In submission to his authority. There's one thing to have him as Savior. But will you submit yourself day by day to the things of Christ? Will you look at the word? Will you look at the gospel and say, gee, I don't like that. Okay. So you're either going to tear that page out or you're going to obey it. Famous sermon. I did it. It was famous. I started going through the Bible. And I would read a passage. And then I'd take that page. And I'd say, you know what? We don't believe that anymore, do we? And I'd rip it out. And I'd throw it down there in front of the first pew. First time I did that, I thought, you know, there were two old ladies here. I thought they were going to pass out. You know, because I was, I was tearing the pages out of the Bible. Well, it was my Bible. You know, I, I, playing. I went through about ten of those things and I ripped pages out and they finally got the the understanding there we cannot determine what is right and what is wrong it is right are you going to pattern your life after it or are you going to ignore it are you going to remain in the darkness or you're going to obey it see we that's where it comes down to if he is lord then you can't tear those pages out that tell you to live in a certain way you can't tear those pages out that cause you to think i don't want a sacrifice like that It says, you know what? For those who desire to serve Christ, they will suffer. I don't like that passage. I'm going to get rid of that passage. No, sorry. That's just the way it is in the Christian life. You know, it's telling me I've got to give more. I've got to get rid of that passage. I'm going to tear that out. No, you're going to obey it. You're going to conform your life to it. It says, I've got to love my enemy? You must be kidding me. No, you have to conform your life to it. Those are hard things that the scripture calls us to do. But yet, they are the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no compromise on the gospel. Either you do it, you believe it, you seek to live it, or you live in darkness. Paul didn't climb a pulpit with all kinds of cool things. He got in the pulpit with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go through the gospel, it reveals our hearts, doesn't it? Have you ever been there just reading the word and you're just cut to the quick? You say, you know, Lord, that's for me today. I don't know why I'm reading this passage, but it applies to me today. That's what the gospel does. Remember, it cuts like a what? Two-edged sword. Lord, if, if, if you keep 
cut me like this, I'm going to stop reading the Bible. No. You keep reading it until your life is conformed to it. You keep coming. You keep learning it. You keep filling your mind and your heart with it until you are, look so much like Christ. Well, then we'll be in heaven. Okay. Then we'll be in heaven. Our Methodist friend gave a travelogue when he had the gospel right in front of him. When he had the power to change lives right here. Right here. It's the new birth. A.T. Robinson is a theologian. He's talked about the preacher who wouldn't preach the gospel. He says, surely as poor and disgusting a topic as a preacher can find, that was preaching himself. If I stood up here and told you nothing but stories or a travelogue, that would be as poor a topic as we can find. What better topic do we have than the word of God? That is the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul brought the gospel. Paul did not, and that's the new life, Paul did not preach morals. He did not come and say to the Corinthians, you've got to change your ways. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. No, he brought the gospel. And that was the power that enabled the Corinthians to move away from paganism. To move away from going up to the temple of Aphrodite and worshiping there. Okay? That is the power. Any any fool can preach, don't do this and don't do that. But it's the gospel that enables us to live a life conformed to the things of Christ. The God of this age, Satan's primary targets is to deceive believers. Jesus warns us that at the end time, Satan's false prophets, false Christ, will seek to deceive even the people of God, if that were possible. If deception is one of Satan's chief weapons in the spiritual warfare, what is the chief offensive weapon that we are to have? Living the truth, proclaiming the truth. Satan's lies cannot stand against the truth that is spoken and the truth that is lived by believers. When I was at my mother's house about two weeks ago, her pastor came to visit. And as he was there visiting, uh, Craig, who's the pastor of the Venice Presbyterian Church, great guy, we were talking, and my mother was, was talking about meeting this woman who was a nominal member of, of Venice. And, and the woman just told my mother, she said, oh, I just love that little country church. It is so beautiful. And I had not seen this in my mother before. She looked at Craig, and she, her eyes teared up. And she said, if she only understood the real beauty of the church. When the gospel is preached... And people live it. See, it doesn't matter whether it's a little country church or whether it's a downtown historic church. The beauty of the church is when the gospel is preached and the people live it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be beautiful. We want to share this gospel with our friends those whose eyes have been darkened by the God of this world, those who hate the light, this penetrates. The light of the gospel penetrates their darkness. Their hearts are hurting. 
Their souls are lost. They don't even understand what it is that they need, and they won't understand it until they hear the words of life. We want to be beautiful and share those words of life. We want to demonstrate the real beauty of the church and live those words of life. Live them out before our children. Live them out before our friends and our family who who perhaps don't know the gospel. Live them out across town with people that we don't even know or we don't don't want to associate with because they're so different than we are, but they are in darkness and they need the light. Or their lives are in such distress that they need mercy and they need comfort and they need compassion. And Christ is our Lord and he commands us to demonstrate the things of the gospel. Lord, make us beautiful that in our words and in our deeds we would proclaim the things of Christ. For it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Our hymn is 538, A Christian Home. Let's stand as we sing 538. Mm -hmm. 